this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show. On the Relax Back UK show, we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Hi, and thank you for joining me with the Relax Back UK show. If you're listening to the show as a podcast rather than on the UK Health Radio platform, please do um, remember to subscribe and like. All the UK Health Radio shows, shows are now available on the usual podcast outlets, so go ahead and you can listen in a different way. Now, we all have a go-to cough or cold remedy. It might be a traditional family thing or a favourite product, and there are many of them. I talked to Dr. Zoe Williams about what works and what doesn't, also about, also about how to keep our bodies in the best shape to fight off infections. It's about getting enough sleep. It's about managing our stress. Um, it's about eating a eating the rainbow and you know lots of foods that are high in nutrients, so lots of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, legumes, that type of thing. Supporting your your gut health, having good gut health, looking after your gut microbiome because that links to your immune system as well. Then it's a birthday party, but not the usual sort of one. But having said that, some of those techniques that were used then, such as maggots uh, for wounds, um, are still used in settings such as hospitals. So it's not that we've lost everything. I think what we've done is we've looked at what was being used and how it was done, looked at what is a safer way to do it now and what what you know, tools and resources do we have. And I'm sure as we move into the future, those same techniques will modernise and we will see a completely different pharmacy in the next 225 years. The pharmacy John Bell and Croydon is 225 years old. I chat to pharmacist Reshma Meldi about the history of the business, what's changed, what hasn't and what pharmacies in general can do for us now. So please do stay tuned for a great show. Thank you. I really enjoyed my chat with Dr. Zoe Williams. She's a practicing GP, but does an awful lot of other stuff as well. So I started off by just asking her to list some of the other things she gets up to. Yeah, I'm an NHS GP. Um, I work with um, Public Health England and the Royal College of GPs and do a lot of work with them around physical activity and educating other healthcare professionals. Um, and then I work in the media as well. So um, I work on this morning on ITV. I've presented for the BBC as well. Trust me, I'm a doctor and, and do quite a bit on Instagram as well. So, okay. yes, so, and a mum. Lots of stuff. Lots of <laughs> yeah, stuff. But lots what of I want to pick your brains about today, if I may, is is coughs and colds. Because, yes. you know, they, they affect everyone. We have to put up with them. Yet, it's, 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 it, oh, every year... It just sort of causes causes questions and and concern. So yeah. what I thought I might start with, if I may, all families that I know have a kind of a, a family remedy, kind of a go to family remedy. And my 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 wife's family is uh, from Mumbai, and if right. I start a bit of a cold, she makes me gargle with turmeric and salt, which yeah. I have to say is absolutely horrible. <laughs> But it does seem to work. Yeah. Well, so, like, you, like you say, I think all families have their own remedies. And depending on, um, you know, where where we're from and how they've been passed down. But, but you know, I think kind of 
gargling with salt water is something that is recognized to help alleviate some symptoms, especially symptoms of a sore throat. And we know that turmeric does have anti-inflammatory, antibacterial um, properties. So, so that you know, there is a plausible reason why adding that to the mix would potentially be helpful as well. Um, and so it's, it's not yeah. just that she likes to inflict pain on me then. <laughs> I don't think so. No. And and I think a lot with a lot of these remedies, you know, there is there is there is a plausible reason as to why they might be effective. Um, And whilst often there isn't really robust data often or, you know, really good evidence to say that they've been proven to be effective at population level. My advice is always if you're doing something like that and, you know, it's not too unpleasant and it's not going to do you any harm and it seems to help then then go with it you know when it comes yeah. to managing symptoms of a cough or a cold if it works for you then stick with it you know we do have some things that have really good evidence and those are the things that you find people like me recommending and then there are some things I hear about that are a bit unusual and I probably wouldn't recommend but something like gargling with salt right. turmeric yeah makes sense right. I was going to ask you if, if if you kind of have a family cure a bit like that I think in my family we tend to stick with it. we're a bit boring. We tend to stick with the uh the things that you know, the things that I might normally give as a doctor, but you know, taking some paracetamol, good hydration, um, good rest, trying to get plenty of sleep. Um, um I know I know something that I find particularly soothing is tomato soup. It's something that I I guess that's our family thing from when I was a child. Um, we were always given tomato soup when we weren't feeling well. And there's something right. about a bowl of soup, you know, it warms your body up. Um, it's easy to consume it's when just you're not isn't good. it? Comforting, but also the steam, you know, the steam gets you, into your you know. steam gets into your sinuses and can help alleviate some of that congestion. So there is, you know, that's that added reason perhaps why soup is so comforting, is that yeah, it can alleviate congestion from the steam. Yeah. Let me let me ask you about some of the kind of old wives tales that you know everybody's heard of um things like is it is it uh, feed a cold starve a fever any yeah a- any sense in that well when if we talk about body temperature um in the context of of colds so um if your body temperature is slightly lower then it is thought that certain viruses might you might give them a slight advantage. Whereas if your body temperature is raised ever so much, you know, if we if our body temperature is a couple of degrees higher than what it normally should be, then a lot of viruses can't survive and, and a lot of viruses struggle. So you give your immune system an advantage over the virus. And that's typically why we get a fever. You know, a fever is not caused by the virus. A fever is actually caused by our own body's immune system. And it's our own body's way of trying to fight off the virus because we can tolerate a rise in temperature. Um, but a lot of viruses can't. So so the, fe- the feed are cold. And what what's the saying again? Isn't it feed a cold, starve a fever? Oh, right. <laughs> That's not even about temperature, is it? That's about... Or have I got it the wrong way around? No, 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 you're absolutely right. I'm, I was just talking, I was kind of off topic talking about temperature. But um, but I think well, the temperature I, yeah, was quite that, interesting. That is on my list as well about whether you, you should wear a coat to stop getting a cold. 
<laughs> yeah. So, well, maybe if we finish up on that one first and then we'll come on to the feed, feeding starving one. Um, so, so, so the idea is of, if you can get a cold if you don't wear a coat or, you know, going to bed with wet hair. Um, well, n- not if you're not exposed to the virus in the first place. So say, for example, you went on a trek up a mountain on your own and it was very, very cold. You're not going to get a cold because you're not going to be exposed to the virus. But if you're if you are exposed to the virus and you actually are cold at the time, your body temperature is lower, then it may well be that that virus is going to be more likely to succeed in actually infecting you and and getting past those first lines of defence. So, so yeah, we should wear a cold. So when your mum tells you to wear a scarf, she's not completely crazy. No, if you're going to be mixing with other people, wearing a scarf and keeping yourself warm might just prevent that virus from being able to to take over. All right. Um, Apologies so, about that. Yeah, a bit confused there. Move on to the <laughs> other one now. The, the, this feeder cold starver fever. So, so there's there's no evidence that starving yourself um, and, and not consuming food is is going to mean that you're going to get over get over it quicker. Um, equally, you know, actually piling in the calories isn't going to help either. So, the, the general advice, the evidence would tell us that. If you're unwell and you've got a cold or you've got a you've got a flu or something, um, do try and consume something and try and keep it healthy. Your body needs good nutrition um, more now than than ever. So, you know, soups full of veggies are really good. Um, nice hot drinks because hydration is incredibly important. Um, so the so the idea of, of overfeeding or starving there's no evidence to back up either of those so do eat Um, and I think I often say to people just be guided by what you how you feel I think often when we're ill if we have cravings for certain things that's probably an indication that our body needs it so you know if you're craving bananas you might need a bit of extra potassium for example so kind of go with what comforts you and go with what your body desires okay on on the slightly strange kind of cures or remedies, I remember as, as as a kid, I had a teacher, and every so often he would chew on a, a licorice stick, you know, an an actual stick, you know, he'd yeah. take the bark mm. and kind of chew it, and he right. would always say that, oh, this is this is good for colds, it stops me getting colds, or it cures when I get a cold. All it did, as far as I could make out, was kind of make him smell a licorice. Really, but <laughs> have you heard that? I haven't actually. Do you think that was, that was just his way of um, of getting away with being able to chew a licorice stick around the classroom without anyone complaining about it? Yeah, it might. It may well be actually because uh, thinking about, it, he was a bit of a maverick in quite a, a, a few different ways. So it could have been his, his little trick, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it sounds it sounds like he might. It sounds um, like he might have had you. Another with that thing one, I want to ask. So maybe uh, from sort of the old wives' tales. But on to going to school because I know I know you you have a son who's he's he's how old is he now? It's about one and a half years old. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah he's just over one and a half years old. So he's not quite at the age of going to school and coming back with you know, all sorts of lurgy that then goes through the rest of the family. Or or is he? Well, is he? Is he going yeah. to kindergarten? He is. He goes to nursery three days a week. So. Um, so he is a little germ spreader and he tends to just have a runny nose or a little bit of a cough pretty much most of the time. Um, and I definitely think that he's infected both me and his dad in recent months. <laughs> so if I mean, if you do have a child that's going off to nursery or, or school and seems to be, as you say, a bit of a germ spreader, can you do anything to try and um, prevent that or you know <laughs> help yourself so you don't? end up with the germs that they could bring back from school 
Well, I mean, it's it's very difficult to prevent them from bringing those germs back because, you know, they are going to be exposed. And actually, you know, it's normal. It's normal for them to be exposed to lots of different types of viruses in their early years. Um, and it, it's important for them building their immune system. And I think it's something that we're seeing with young children at the moment because we've had a couple of years in lockdown. Um, some young children are just getting one virus after another because their immune system hasn't been subjected to viruses in the way that it would be normally. But if you, so the question about protecting yourself as a parent, well, I think I think the main things we can do is look at all the various ways in which we can support our own immune system. And a lot of that is healthy living, the things that we've talked about on here before. It's about getting enough sleep. It's about managing our stress. Um, it's about eating a eating the rainbow and you know lots of foods that are high in nutrients, so lots of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, legumes, that type of thing. Supporting your your gut health, having good gut health, looking after your gut microbiome because that links to your immune system as well. Um, hand washing and nasal hygiene. So there's this research from Sterimar which shows that only seven out of ten Brits are aware that nasal hygiene. Um, can actually help support your immune system. So by using non-medicated nasal sprays regularly, cleaning out the nasal passages, removing impurities, washing out viruses, um, but just keeping them healthy so they can do their job, they do form the first line of defence against these types of viruses. So that's something that a lot of people don't know about and aren't doing that they can do that is effective. Right. So what you're saying, keeping your nose clean, having some kind of effective nose washing um regime is a good thing yeah exactly so it's just as simple as having one of these non-medicated nasal sprays that contain salt water so that they don't sting or burn because the the salt water is a similar um saltiness to the actual fluids that are inside your body keeping it next to your toothbrush and whenever you brush your teeth you have a little squirt in each nostril um and that just helps to to keep the nasal passages healthy and allow them to do their job properly. Um, so that can prevent us getting viruses. So, it, you know, because it is the first line of defence, but it can also mm. help alleviate or reduce our risk of some some other um, ENT conditions as well. So, so it's something for consideration for a lot of people. There's something that is effective that we can do that isn't unpleasant, um, yeah. you know, that, that people aren't aware of already. All right. Um, we, we spoke about the kind of family remedies and they're usually pretty cheap, you know, easy to do. You know, my wife likes to make me gargle with turmeric and salt. You know, it's it's no problem. We have that in the house anyway. And actually, it seems to work. But if just before we spoke, actually, I experimented and I Googled kind of things to take if you have a cold or cold remedies. remedies. There was, a, you know, like millions and millions of hits of things like, I don't know, immunity boosting teas and stuff like this and, and some of them are actually you know a lot more expensive than a bit of turmeric and salt yes but did you get asked about these things i mean i personally what you just said you know live a kind of a good life and give your immune system its best chance yeah this idea of immunity boosting products kind of alarms me a little bit well Yes. And, and I think, you know, it's something that as people are more aware now of their health and particularly immune health than ever before, um, of course, that creates a market for, um, for for a lot of various different 
potential remedies, some of which may be effective and some of which won't be effective. We know that the things that are most effective are the things we've mentioned, good sleep, being regularly active, having a good diet, minimising stress, all of that. But of course, people are always looking for those quick fixes. You know, people do have stressful lives. Some people do find it difficult to get good quality sleep. Some people are struggling to squeeze activity into their life. So of course, you know, they they are um, they're keen to find that that quick, easy solution, um, which probably doesn't exist, unfortunately. I think my my advice to people when it comes to things that are ex- particularly things that are expensive that are making these types of claims, if as long as it's harmless and isn't going to do you any harm, if you want to try it, try it. But be really, really, you know, even keep a symptom diary. really do do your own little experiment to see if that works for you and if it works and you know you can afford to do it and you you feel like it's effective even if it is a placebo effect well fair enough but if it doesn't work let's face it we usually do get better from colds don't we (laughs) we do exactly we do get better anyway and you know things like there are a lot of supplements on the market um vitamin d is an important supplement for us all to take in this country in the winter months because we can't get enough from the sun um all the other vitamin supplements that are out there you know for some people it may well be important to take a supplement particularly people who have very restrictive diets um but for most of us if we have a really healthy diet and we eat a bit of everything we probably don't need them and actually spending your money on um, things that you know something that's going to make you feel less stressed spending a bit of your time having a relaxing bath um but the nasal sprays i think these non-medicated nasal sprays are quite interesting because they are something that's affordable they're something that there is evidence to support that they're effective um but interestingly they're something that not a lot of people know about and in my work as a gp we certainly do get letters coming back from ent departments um, recommending nasal hygiene for patients who are having problems. Um, so I think for allergies as well, you know, lots of people have allergies this time of year. There isn't hay fever around, but because people are spending about 90% of our time indoors and we've got a lot of indoor pollutants as well that we're exposed to, um, people with with allergies can can suffer. So it's another nasal hygiene can help alleviate symptoms of that as well. All right. Um- if you have a chat, if we have a chat about coughs and colds, it might seem sensible at the end to, you know, to bring in flu, because obviously yes. that's that's a different thing, uh, but has very similar symptoms. But it can be really nasty for, for lots of people. Yeah. Um, do you have any particular recommendations uh, for for flu? Yeah, I think often people say that they have flu when they don't, they have a cold. Um, I think that there are three main ways I always think you can differentiate between a cold and flu. So a cold tends to come on gradually over a couple of days, whereas flu tends to come on very quickly over a few hours. You can go from feeling fine to feeling unwell. Um, There's the severity of the symptoms. So a cold, you can feel rotten, but you still can get on with things and you function, can function whereas, just about yeah yeah whereas with flu um you cannot you know they say that if a 50 pound note was slowly blowing past in the breeze you wouldn't get up to go and get it because you feel that rough and the third one is the that colds tend to affect the upper airway so you know the nose the throat um the upper airways of the chest whereas a flu can affect the whole body um you can be achy you can have abdominal pain you can get that cough as well headache so if you've got a flu, you will know about it. And um, influenza 
can cause really severe illness in people who are susceptible. So people who are older, have underlying health conditions or the very young as well. Um, but, we, you know, luckily we do have a, an effective vaccine and, and I do recommend that people who are eligible for a free NHS flu jab, jab do get it because we know it saves lives and yeah. it saves a lot of misery as well. <laughs> well, I've had mine. I went to get my uh, COVID booster and at the same time I said, oh, would you like your flu vaccine in the other arm so I went for a doubler and yeah uh, worked for me couple of sore arms the next day but otherwise fine I would imagine were you well actually the arms were pretty good I think the people doing the injections were were so good at it um that you know it did hurt a little bit but yeah not badly at all so I was quite impressed yeah since I, I have my flu jab every year and sometimes I find that it feels sore afterwards and sometimes it doesn't and I can't quite work out why Okay, well, maybe that will be a topic of a, of, a, of another chat. Um, but Zoe, if people are listening to this and they want a, a resource to look at, uh, what you what can you suggest for some more information? So I think if people are looking for some more information around colds and flu generally, and you know what remedies are actually proven to work, um, have a look at the NHS website. If people want to know more about nasal hygiene and how that works and which products are available, um, have a look at the Sterimar website, which is sterimarnasal.co.uk. Excellent. Right, Dr Zoe, that sounds like excellent advice. So thank you very much indeed for chatting. Thank you for having me. It's great to speak to you again. I always enjoy chatting with uh, GP Dr Zoe. She's always a lovely guest. The next guest is a pharmacist and we talk about many things, including the way in which your local pharmacy uh, can help you. And I want to big up my local pharmacy, uh, the Maltings Pharmacy in St Albans. And I was just in there earlier today and uh, it was all a bit dramatic. A lady ran in asking for help as a chap had just collapsed on the road nearby. Uh, the pharmacist who was working there he was first aid trained and without a thought he ran out to go out and help the guy that had collapsed on the road so a big thank you to him and a general big up for uh, pharmacists and pharmacists everywhere pharmacists really are uh, a great resource so we should all make as much use of them as we can uh, we will hear from one later Reshma Maldi is the Chief Pharmacist at the Pharmacy John Bell & Croydon in London and it's a big year for the company. Uh, first of all, I asked Reshma, why? It's a big birthday for John Bell & Croydon, so we, we are 225 years old. Um, for many of the listeners who may, not, who may not know John Bell & Croydon, let me just uh, give them a little bit of history. So John Bell & Croydon was founded by two pharmacists. Um, John and his son Jacob Bell back in 1798. That's how old we are. Uh, we don't look as old as that because we've had a, a facelift. We've had a facelift since then, yeah, good. So we're, we're into the modern world, which is great. But what's really lovely is we still we still hold on to the values um, that actually John and Jacob Bell had started with. So the value was very much around helping their communities stay healthier and happier. Okay, right. Well, so be before we chatted, I did a little bit of digging, actually, because I thought that the, the topic of old companies, companies that have been around a long time, is quite an interesting one. And you, you have some good company in companies that have been around a long time. So there's the Royal Mail, Cambridge University Press, uh, tea companies like Twining's Tea and a few others have been around 
twining since 1706, a few newspapers, um, sweets and foods. But only I only came across one other kind of health-related company, and that's Boots. So um, I, I guess I've got to ask the question, why, why do you think you've survived? Because, they're, they're, you know, at that time, there must have been more health-related companies, but I've only come across two that have been around for a long time. And I come back to that core value. Um, with the intention of making our community pharmacies healthy and happier, if that is the intention that we're standing for, there is no reason why we wouldn't continue to stand because that's what people need. They need a place to come to seek help advice uh, when they've got health concerns. And we have trained, competent people who are able to attend um, and help advise and counsel and if need be, signpost to where else they might need further help from. So okay. that's why- Yeah, I'm no, there. I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that sounds like very good business sense. But let, let me ask you, a, a, maybe a slightly off the wall question. Say if I'd been your first customer uh, in 1798, would I have sort of seen any things that I might recognize today? Come and pop into the pharmacy. You'll still, you'll still see some of the little um, snippets of history in there. So let me give you an example. If you had visited my pharmacy back in 1798, the first person you would have been greeted by was the pharmacist. You'd have the opportunity to share your problem with that pharmacist and for them to be able to sit, understand what is it that you would need at this time. The unique experience you would have had is the pharmacist would have handmade your medication for you. So may that be a cream, a solution, a liquid uh, or a potion. The pharmacist would have put that together for you um, directed you in terms of how to use it and, and you would be, you would have come back and be able to talk to the pharmacist let them know how you're getting on so the unique experience of my medicine was made just for me what a, a lovely place to have been no but but that's not really such ancient history so I'm, I'm 56 and I'm pretty sure when I was a kid um, I remember pharmacists kind of doing that maybe not in such a big way but you know it, pharmacists used to do that until reasonably recently i think but it started then so obviously a lot of the skills have been transferred over the years technology and techniques have refined uh, but even up to, up to the last 10 maybe 12 years uh, john Bill and croydon used to do a certain amount of their own handmade manufacturing of creams we had a little room downstairs where we'd have a team of people that would compound these lovely extemporaneous creams, but with obviously change of regulation, um, that's where things have had to be tightened up and where then mass manufacturing sure, specialist sure. laboratories have had to come in um, and take some of that workload off us. What, what about some things that I, I might not recognise? And I'm, I'm talking about some of the more gruesome things, like, I don't know, um, things for lancing boils and maggots and leeches this kind of stuff so there were obviously techniques that were used then because that was deemed to be the only way they could have done it um but through evolution evolution some of those techniques have modernized so we've got uh, rather than using insects such as leeches uh we've got tools that can be can do the same job that's obviously safer less chance of infection um less chance of spreading infections but having said that, some of those techniques that were used then, such as maggots uh, for 
wounds um, are still used in settings such as hospitals. So it's not that we've lost everything. I think what we've done is we've looked at what was being used and how it was done, looked at what is the safer way to do it now and what what you know, tools and resources do we have. And I'm sure as we move into the future, those same techniques will modernise and we will see a completely different pharmacy in the next 225 years <laughs> what we've got today. Sure. No, but actually, I, I said maggots because I specifically wanted to ask you about maggots because I, I heard a, a story on the news that was this week, actually, about how they were being so successfully used uh, to clean wounds. It is that there is obviously there is benefit of those sorts of techniques still being used, and which is why it's being done in specialist units such as hospitals where it's controlled. Um, and it's important that you've got health professionals that are looking after that patient when they're doing invasive treatments such as that. So yeah. it wouldn't be the most appropriate to walk into a pharmacy and expect that we'll have some maggots <laughs> infection. But there are other solutions that we in a pharmacy setting can still offer you to help you. Sure. No, I get it. I get it. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of history there, a lot of, um, you know, good, good stories. But, you know, are you a quaint piece of history or are you and pharmacies in general, you know, an important part of the health system today? And, you know, if so, how? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna word that in two ways. Um, my pharmacy, John Bennett Coyden, is a unique piece of modern history. So come in, come and have a look. We've still kept a lot of what was the old trinkets and things around. So you can see that when you walk around the shop. I have been in actually, it is absolutely lovely. <laughs> so I invite your listeners to come and visit us too. But in terms of pharmacy, and I think that that's the core trust of, trust of this, pharmacy has been an integral part of communities for even beyond 225 years. So if we, if we look at, we were the first port of call, uh, pharmacists, you didn't have to make an appointment even then, you could just walk in and speak to a professional. Um, and the value that that brought to those communities when actually healthcare services didn't exist then, it's only after the birth of the NHS that actually we have now got access and greater access to different healthcare professionals for various different conditions. But even then, um, pharmacists have been, have been very fortunate that we've been able to branch our skills out into greater places. So you do see pharmacists in hospitals, you see pharmacists in GP practices. Um, you've got pharmacists now who have taken their careers a step forward by further educating themselves and, and picking up new skills to offer you know, specialist clinics. Um, you've even now got pharmacists that progress to be able to be independent prescribers. So where oh, really? Have, yeah, so where you might, have, you will have gone to a GP to um, have a particular condition looked at and the doctor would have written a prescription, but under specific training uh, and in certain um, specialist areas, pharmacists, can now also prescribe for their chosen area of expertise. Okay. Can you can you give examples of a couple of the areas that they might be able to prescribe in? Well, as I said, so for each of these pharmacists, they will have had to select an area that they wish to specialise in. So, for example, I have a budding independent prescriber who is looking to start on this journey and is wanting to go into specialist of pain management. Why? Because we know pain is a condition that affects many people in various different uh, levels um, and what he would like to do is be able to look uh, receive customers help them with their pain and where needed 
be able to prescribe. There may be other pharmacists who would like to specialist in respiratory conditions. So they may lead expert asthma or COPD clinics. So you will have a whole host of pharmacists who have a particular interest in a particular condition and they want to progress uh, and specialise in those areas. Okay, that's, and that's really important for people to know because as we all know, GPs are under a lot of pressure at the moment. And there's, you know, there's been talk in the media of actually it's quite difficult to get seen by a GP. But generally the fact is you can just breeze into a pharmacy and see a pharmacist within a couple of minutes. Um, and that's what it's always been you know we have a, even throughout, throughout the pandemic we've had our doors open we've been there to be accessible for healthcare needs um, and I'm really proud to for all the pharmacists that have been out there they've worked tremendously hard over the last few years to keep things moving um, we have a huge opportunity to join forces um, to really make a difference to our communities by offering special services within pharmacies. You're seeing pharmacists do blood testing. You're seeing pharmacists do screening um, and uh, condition management. So please do tap into your local pharmacies. Have a look at what more new services they've brought in that you may not be aware of. The NHS website is fantastic. It'll, it, you can get a wealth of information, but also you can be guided to, if you're looking for something specific, where, uh, where and how can you access it? All right. Let, let's mention a couple of those, because I, I know if you are worried about blood pressure, you can probably get your blood pressure measured if you go to the pharmacy. Um, you mentioned some blood tests. What sort of things can you get tests for? Depending on the, the profile that pharmacists are, are offering, uh, I can talk about my pharmacy, for example. We have recently introduced blood testing services for um, a certain number of different parameters that we can check. Um, what it will entail is we have trained phlebotomists in store. You can come in and have a very quick blood test and choose um, which services, what, what would you like to know your numbers for today? So is it, for example, you want to know if you're, what your iron levels are, your vitamin D. Um, there's, a, there's two brilliant packages, well man, well woman. It almost has 400 different things. It'll test you for to see what your overall health is. Um, the brilliant piece about this is once you've had your blood taken, get sent off to a laboratory, and should any of your numbers be slightly off where it needs to be, you have a doc, you have a GP who will screen your results and make contact with you. But equally in store, you have these brilliant pharmacists who you can tap into and they will give you fantastic advice around how to manage it, how to get your levels back to where they need to be and what general advice to you need. Okay. Well, what about if you're potentially worried about a, a, a specific problem? So uh, as an example, say say prostate cancer, because that's something that, you know, men over 50 or whatever should get checked for. Uh, so previously, what I would do without thinking about it is I would call my GP. But can pharmacists help with that kind of thing as well? Certainly you can pop into your pharmacist to get advice in terms of if if you didn't know what sort of uh, checks you can do yourself at home, we can guide you and, and explain to you how to test your own, how to uh, check your own prostates. But more so, what I was really thinking about the blood test because there's a blood test for prostate cancer, isn't there? Can yes. you do that? Yes, we can. You can hop in, and uh, we do offer that service, and as do many other pharmacies too. So please do look at your local pharmacy. Oh what they have to offer yeah but more importantly regards to prostate cancer it's early warning signs 
it's being able to spot when something is wrong and actually being tapping into getting that help as quickly as you can. So it's a twofold. It's not just the test. It's the, the advice that you can get from your pharmacist, which is just as important about signs and symptoms. Sure. And as part of the NHS, say, say if I wanted to get a test, let's, let's stick with the prostate cancer because I'm a bloke and I'm that sort of age. Um, if I went to my GP, I might have to wait a bit, whatever, but I would get the test done um, and it would be free. If I go to a pharmacist, would I have to pay? Would that still be on the NHS? How does that work? Most testing services are not, most testing services through pharmacies are not through the NHS. They are private services. You would need to pay for it, uh, but that's patient choice. If you wish, if you wish to get something done quicker, you have got that as a facility. But having said that, if you if you'd rather go through the NHS, you have uh, that avenue to go through too. So it's it's trying to make services widely available to give patients the greatest choice around how they wish to access this. Sure, sure. No, I, I mean I've I've made full use of uh, pharmacists. I'm I'm all for it. Uh, so if I'm just trying to think of an example uh, now, but you know if if you just have a I don't know. Uh, actually, a good one I've been in with my children, a rash, a rash on the face. You know, that's a, a classic thing. The pharmacist could help very quickly, offered something, uh, put our minds at rest, job done. Great. Absolutely. And it's those minor elements that's the most important because you can get really great advice from your pharmacy teams and there are products and, and um solutions that you can purchase within the pharmacy for a lot of these minor ailments, but often we don't know what's available. And that's why the campaign about make pharmacy your first port of call is so important. Sure. Um, let us do that triage piece. You'll be amazed at what we can offer and what you can solve through a pharmacy. And where you can't, we have mechanisms to be able to signpost you or make those referrals where you need to. Right. So I was, yeah, I was going to ask specifically about that because I can imagine if, if someone comes in, so, you know, I've got a pain here or there and, and you look at them, you think, oh, hang on a moment. This could be a bit more serious. Uh, can you do a little bit more just than say you need to see your GP as soon as you can? Can you help them get an appointment if it, if it looks like it's pretty urgent? Yes, because with the best part of the NHS is actually you've got access to an, your patient information. So, with the consent of the patient, we are able to help support you to make those referrals um, back to your GP, whether that is a phone call or whether that is a letter that we uh, or an email that we write to the practice to say we've seen you and actually this needs a little bit more investigation. So no. do make friends with your local pharmacist. It's the best <laughs> part you can have. Now, just, just through chatting with you today for a few minutes, and we, we have spoken in the past, I really get the impression that you like being a pharmacist. You are very happy that you chose to become a pharmacist. So would you, I mean, would you um, recommend what you do as a job, as a career to others who are wondering what to do with their lives? I'm going to be very biased. I'm going to say yes. I love being a pharmacist because I get the, the beauty of it is I get to interact with so many people and just to make people feel happier and healthier. I know they've walked in sad or maybe concerned but actually to have that comfort to know I've made a difference that it just warms my heart and I just feel I've achieved something, something in the day so that's the reason why I'm a pharmacist I'm there to want to help okay it's not necessarily easy though is it what's the route to become a pharmacist oh right 
at, at my time, uh, maybe a little bit easier. It was only a three-year university degree, a one-year training with another pharmacist, and then sit my professional exams. I know the next generation that's coming through have got it a little bit harder than I did. Uh, it's four years in university, a year's training in a pharmacy with another pharmacist, and then have your professional exams. But to be honest, as medicine has moved on, healthcare has moved on, it's neat. I think that length, extra length has needed. So you're getting um, really good pharmacists coming through, which are the new generation, uh, with lots of, lots of new skills and experience. So if anyone out wants to be a pharmacist, go for it. All right, that sounds like good, good advice. All right, so look, if people are listening to this and thinking, right, I would like to find out a little bit more about what my local pharmacist can offer, maybe before they actually go go and ask, just to get an idea. What are some good resources where people can find out about what a where their pharmacist is, the closest one, and what they can do for them? So, uh, well, let's start with the NHS website because it's worldwide, uh, worldwide, countrywide. Uh, so www.nhs.uk. You'll be able to not only just get um, health information that the NHS have put on for you just to read and for you to access, but equally, you can find where your nearest pharmacist is from here. Um, you also, mo many pharmacies now have got websites so that they can tell you uh, what they offer before you even get there. Um, and then the last thing I would always say is there's nothing better than walking in and saying hello to your pharmacist. We'd love to see you. Very good advice. So look, Reshma, thank you very much indeed for chatting. And again, a big 225th happy birthday to uh, John Bell and Croydon. Thank you. So we're really excited to celebrate this 225th year today. So please do come and celebrate it with us. All right. Many thanks. Thank you for chatting, Reshma. Thank you. If you are listening to the Relax Back UK show as a podcast, please do remember to subscribe and like. Thank you very much to my guests on this week's show. And they were Dr. Zoe Williams talking about remedies for coughs and colds and pharmacist Reshma Maldi of the pharmacy John Bell and Croydon talking about all the things that pharmacies can do for you. And of course, thank you to you for listening. Thank you for listening and please do join us again next time.